And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Daner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. Happy December. Happy last month of the season to everyone that wants it to end yesterday. But we're here to talk more about, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this season. But let's be honest, you don't want to hear much about that, do you? No. So we'll kind of keep it. We're going to, we're going to, the rest of this month, you'll notice our eyes will not be planted on this year's schedule as much. We'll be focused a little bit more towards the offseason and uh, everything that you see uh, in the draft and free agency in this roster. And of course, everyone's favorite topic, this coaching staff, as we roll it forward. How are we doing, Jay? Doing great. Like you said, December 1st. I'm not going to sing for you guys, but it is the most wonderful time of the year for Bengals fans. Depending. Depending on your fandom, I've got a, a stat later regarding the month of December that will either thrill you or horrify you. <laughs> so this this is the most wonderful time of the year if you are a true Bengals fan. Wow. I love when you give the, the spectrum. There is no middle ground. <laughs> you will only be thrilled or horrified. Uh, we've, uh, we've got that. Can we have a lot to get to uh, today, of course. Uh, the Bengals are playing Miami this week. We've got a uh, treat for you uh, coming up on the Growler on Thursday. I there's one person who uh, loves the Bengals at Dolphins game uh, from last year as much as I do, uh, and it's Kevin Clark from The Ringer. Uh, people might know his work. I, I love Kevin. He's fantastic. But he wrote. He spent much of last year writing about tanking, the the validity of tanking. How how real of a possibility is that? And when we were at the uh, Miami Cincinnati game last year in Miami, we had a long talk about how much we loved it and the 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 spot it put these organizations in. And then for the game to play out the way it did was incredible. We still talk about it. So I said, Kevin, there's no one who I can have on this week to recount last year and kind of how both teams went forward maybe differently since then than you. Uh, so Kevin Clark is going to join us on the Growler on Thursday. So make sure you check back with that. And Jay, you are going to have our Miami guy on, right? Yeah, Josh Tolentino. Um, he's he's been all over the place. He covered the Packers for us. He covered the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, and now he's on the Dolphins beat. So looking forward to getting his perspective on Tua and Fitzy and everything else. <laughs> really, what that Miami franchise is, what the Bengals want to be. I mean, they have they were in that mix for the number one overall pick, and they have turned it around in a hurry. Uh, right in the playoff mix, 
And going back, I've, I've rarely seen you as excited as you were when Kevin walked into the press box last year. It was a couple <laughs> days before Christmas, and it was like Christmas for you. You were so excited to talk to him about the whole tanking aspect, and yeah. it was. Well, he's, he's a great guy. He's really fun to talk to. Really fun. His, and his podcast, The Ringer, is great. And Robert Mays, who used to be his partner, uh, is with us now and does our NFL podcast, and they're, they're, they were great there. And I love Robert's podcast now, too, and uh, just great work. So I, I, I'm really excited to, to chat with Kevin about maybe his favorite topic and certainly one of mine um, <laughs> so that is all coming up on thursday and a reminder all of our coverage everything that the deal of all deals the deal to end all deals uh, is going still going on if you do it through our podcast link on the main links on the page no but the podcast if you're a podcast fan you can still do it get everything that the athletic has both written word and podcast inside one dollar per month for the next 12 months black friday cyber monday all december 1st deal um you can get it through the rest of this week if you go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling got to go to our podcast page now to get it um and if you do that then uh you can get that deal and you'll have all of our cover everything we're writing uh you know, there is a ton of stuff. It's ridiculous the amount of stuff up on the site right now. Highly recommend to get it now because you will not see a better deal than this all year long. Give it as a gift. Give it for yourself. Whatever you want to do. Um, let's let's get into. We're going to kind of talk a little. We're going to get into Dane Brugler has his mock draft up. Speaking of things, you can go see if you are a subscriber to the Athletic. We're going to get into that a little bit earlier. And Panay Sewell, everyone's favorite potentially future Cincinnatian to talk about right now. Um, the offensive tackle from Oregon. We're going to get a little bit. Jay's got a lot of stats. We're going to talk uh, a little bit about guys that maybe should be shut down, potentially, or should they not be shut down, and some of the injured guys that are slated to be come back and what you do with them. Let's start here. Um, I want it's sort of piggybacking a little bit on the conversation that we had on Sunday and, and, you know, the rest of this year is basically going to be about one decision and that is going to be the, okay, are you, are you keeping this coaching staff? Are you keeping this head coach? Are you keeping his coordinators, uh, down the line? Change has to happen. What change has to happen? How drastic does it have to be? The hard part to me, Jay, is you can believe what we've been sold. You can believe even what you've seen of Joe Burrow and the way they handled his development. And, you know, people will criticize that, but Joe Burrow was playing great. The offense was moving the ball. Burrow was having potentially going to win rookie of the year. Um, they let Joe cook, so to speak. And people could, some, there is probably a faction out there that says that was part of the problem. There's also a faction that says that was part of why his development was what it was and why they were moving the ball so well. Um, I can buy all that. And I can buy that, you know, a, the third year coming up, another player cycle that looks like last year. An, they had a really good draft last year, uh, they had a good free agency period, even though it didn't pay off because of injuries. But people were excited about the free agency period. That was pretty much unanimous. Um, you do that again. And and with Burrow coming back, you feel like, okay, you give, you're really giving this thing a chance. And it was kind of cut short this year because Burrow goes down. Yet, the question I had to ask Zach Tyler yesterday is, how do you sell 422 and 1? Here was his answer. 
exact when, when same. You guys, when you guys are, are, are 422 and one, how, how do you sell inside the building that things are still headed in the right direction, whether that be in the locker room or even in the front offices? Yeah, we, you know, my communication with the players is we, we show them the tape. We, we show them where the mistakes are. We show them the, the directions we're headed in the right way. Um, oftentimes this thing has come down to one play and, and we got to, we got to find that way to make that one play at the end of the game. And, and we just haven't done it yet. But again, all I can say is that when you stand in front of the team at the end of a game, um, win or loss, and you preach to those guys, you, you know that they're all in it together and they believe in what we're doing and they can see it because they see it every day in practice. They see it on the game tape. They, they know where we're close. And we're just not getting it done yet. And, and that's our focus is, is keeping these guys together. Um, that hasn't been as difficult as some might think it is just because we're, we're trying to build it of the right talent and character combined. And, and that has really helped us through these trying times. And, um, you know, the other part, you just, you just, we, we keep doing everything that we believe in and, and keep making progress. And um, I know there's a day where we're going to bust down this wall and there's going to be some great times ahead. I know that right now it's, it's um, very difficult sometimes when you deal with these losses, but um, I also know what, what our future holds for us. And, and we just, we got to keep working towards that. And, and, these two years that we've endured um, will service service incredibly well in the future. When we're winning a lot of football games, we're playing for championships. Um, these will be times that we look back on and reflect on as as almost necessary for for uh, where we end up being. I kind of wanted to start there, and, and you hear Zach's answer, and ask you, Jay, how do you sell four twenty two and one, and and do you think that is the biggest hurdle that they are facing right now in this decision, whether it's in the front office or how you sell it to the locker room. Um, it is the biggest thing they're, they're facing. And I, I get what he's saying that, you know, you put on the film and you see how close you are and um, play here, play there. I, I don't think anybody's BS meter is, is going off because of that, but how many times can you hear it? I mean, you, your kids aren't quite old enough to this stage yet, Paul, but you know, if if you ask your kid when he's going to clean his room and he says tomorrow and then he says tomorrow and he says tomorrow and, and he may he well mean that he's going to do it tomorrow. But if it, you keep hearing the same thing over and over again, eventually you tune it out and you quit believing it. And I, I you wonder when the players get to that point. I, I don't think that they've given up on Zach or his message, but it's close. I mean, how many times can you hear we're right there, we're one play away, and not get there, not get over that hump? At some point, the eye rolling starts and the the tuning out starts. And I, again, I don't think what he, I don't think he's shoveling a, a load of crap. I do think that they are very close. Um, the the scores of these games prove it. But at some point, like you like to say, you got to win a tilt. You gotta, you gotta start winning game, and you gotta not just win one. You gotta string them together, and until that happens, I, I don't know. It's going to get harder and harder and harder to to sell that, not just to the players in the locker room, but maybe more importantly to the the fan base. Yeah, that was a big part of what got Marvin gone. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> I mean that if you if you read dan pompey's piece if you go back and take yourself back to that point in time when i asked mike brown in the press conference with zach taylor about why it was time for marvin and he started with the fan base you know we haven't talked to mike a lot since then and but when you have that has been the reason why 
was the empty seats, was the suites, was the response from fans, the vitriol out there. And that isn't the defining part. And if there's anything we know about Mike Brown, you know, fan opinion is not necessarily going to sway him. <laughs> it's going to taste pretty stubborn in, in what he believes and what he sees. And and he is all, he's not going to be a knee-jerk guy. But, you know, you you wonder how much uh that type of I, I don't think it's at that it's not at the Marvin level where it felt like years upon years. The thing is it's always one year later than you thought it should be with this organization. In almost every capacity. You know? Like we've all we all work for places like that. Like, if you, like everyone in their life, whether it was when you were 16, uh, at, at whatever, you know, small mom and pop you worked at, or even if you were at a big business that was just behind in the times, you worked at a place where like, it just seems like they're always a year behind the curve, right? Like, it's like, man, I thought everybody was doing this, you know, there's just so many places like that. Uh, and then I feel like the Bengals are kind of like that. You know, where it always feels like, not that they should make this, but they're just always, they're, they're going to be reluctant to do anything like that. And I think that will come up when we talk about Dolphins versus Bengals uh, rebuild process on Thursday. You know, the Dolphins are the example of of rebuilding like a rabbit, right? And the Bengals are rebuild like a turtle. Okay, it's like, slow, take your time. No, we're not going to just kick people out the door, you know. Whereas the Dolphins are like, ah, everybody out, if you want to be here, we're turning it around and we're going to win with this the new group that's here and we're going to get all the assets and pick and we're going to do it in the internet. Let's take a quick break here before we move on. Let's uh, hear from a sponsor. Let's go into this part of this because what it prompted me to do was piggyback again off something we talked about on Sunday and that was the three-year window. And because the, the, the argument is, look, you gotta give, you gotta give them the third three years to anybody you do this with. You gotta give them three years to prove themselves to show they can do it. So you know what we like to do here, Jay. We like to look for proof. We're proof people, right? <laughs> yeah, We're truth tellers and proof people. Stats don't so lie. The stats don't lie. And I thought it was interesting if. I went back and looked basically all the way back through about the last six real coaching cycles. So I'm not including the last couple years because those haven't been proven out yet. You know, basically, you know, you go back to 20, you go back to the 2017 class, the class that's now, um, you know, in their third season, you have, you had Matt Nagy, Matt Patricia, who just got uh, whacked Frank Reich, Matt Vra- Mike Vrabel, excuse me, in Tennessee, Steve Wilkes in Arizona. Um, that you have that year, and then I went from there all the way back to you get into the uh, man. You're back in the 2013 coaching cycle, so a lot of names in here of first year coaches. There are 27 coaches that got their first head coaching job. I'll actually ask you this, Jay, see how close you can get. Of the 27, how many do you think did not get a to a third year? I'll say three. Eight. Wow. Yeah, eight. Now, <laughs> there's, a, there's an asterisk here. There's some Browns and some 49ers in here oh, that, yeah. that eat that up. Uh, the Browns and 49ers were not real interested in any sort of patience. Uh, so of those, you have 
I'll just list you the ones that didn't get a third year. Steve Wilkes in Arizona only got one, and they booted yeah. him out. And let me, you know, I can tell you something. A lot of eyes rolled inside the Bengals organization when they saw you would hire somebody and fire him one year later. Um, even with three and thirteen, uh, you had Vance Joseph in Denver got two, and John Elway moved on. John Elway also notorious for churning through coaches. Um, let's not forget. I mean, they ended up letting go of John Fox for Gary Kubiak uh, after they had made the playoffs, and they didn't go into the Super Bowl that year. But so we've seen a trigger finger is pretty fast there. Uh, ben McAdoo with the Giants was uh, didn't quite make it. He almost he didn't even make it to the conclusion of his second year. Uh, you also had Jim Tomsulo in San Francisco again. That was a mess. Mike Pettin in Cleveland, Cleveland. Uh, you get to Mark Trestman in Chicago, got two years. And they did not bring him back for the third. And then Chud, Rod Chudzinski in Cleveland only got one. Doug Marone in Buffalo got two, and he moved on. He eventually was uh, hired again, and he's still a coach in Jacksonville. You get eight there. And these situations, you know, you have a lot of guys that were brought back for the third year. Matt Patricia, we mentioned, is a really important thing because I think there's a lot of people saying, okay, well, the Lions set themselves back by not letting go of Patricia after last year and bringing him back for the third year and it's just continuing on. And, I, and I'll buy that, but I think the other side of the Lions organization is, well, we, we, they, were, they were buying what Patricia was selling them too, that it will turn around, that it can be better. And I think that's that's all part of this a little bit is is each situation is unique. How many of them benefited from keeping them for the third year? And there are examples of that too. Is Freddie not on your list? Is that because that is came, too recent? I didn't. I didn't. Oh, kitchens. So you went, okay. No. Yeah, I didn't count the last two year cycles right. because they haven't completed themselves to really learn from them yet. Yeah. So you got to really go back to the Patricia, the cycle that's in their third year now, and you know. Nagy was brought back despite questions, but Nagy won a bunch in his first. I mean, they, they, you know, they, they were winning the North. And so there's, there's guys that have earned it and you go further in, you know, the, a lot of these guys, you know, you have some bad records for the first two years. You know, Wilkes was, was terrible and they got rid of him after three and 13. Patricia, they brought back at nine, 22 and one, um, for a third year. Um, you had Ben McAdoo was 13 and 15 and they axed him before the end of the second year. And, and now the New York is a little bit different animal. Certainly uh, dirt cutter. They brought back after he was 14 and 18 for a third year. He went five and 11 in the third year. Uh, you know, you had Petten in Cleveland was 10 and 22. Again, it's Cleveland a little bit, but still Vance Joseph, uh, we talked about him. He was 11 and 21 after two years and they asked him. So, you know, it's you, you, you kind of need something to hang your hat on. The examples that you will see used in the other side, we talked about this on Sunday, was Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, 10 and 22, including a 4 and 12 second season. <coughs> Granted, you had a quarterback injury played into it. <clears throat> well, Quarterback injury plays into this one too. That maybe is part of what gives you the mulligan. Um, 
you go to another one that's interesting that is on a list that you have, Jay, and that's the worst starts of all time through 25 games. Uh, Jim Schwartz in Detroit is on that. And people might laugh about Jim Schwartz. Well, he had two awful first years. What was Schwartz the first two years, Jay? Let me grab this. Jim Schwartz, through his first 25 games, was 4-21. and 4-21. and 21. Same thing, basically. Third year, they went 10-6 and six and went to the playoffs. Um, two other – the whole – can you give me the whole list just for just for people to see the whole list of worst t- first 25 games? Yeah, I actually – I Sport Radar's research department sent me this. Um, I, I went beyond – and went to game 27 for in my final thoughts column um, because it in this list of the worst the worst winning percentage in the first 25 games Zach Taylor is 12th um, he, he moves up higher when you look at first 27 which is how many he's coached um, because you do you start seeing teams win and and Jimmy Johnson is on this list but but he won games 26 and 27 and got off this list but but here's the list of 20 the, the, the first 25 John McKay winning percentage of zero 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 he started his career 0 and 25 um, <laughs> actually started at 0 and 26 before he won the 27th uh, Phil Handler of the Chicago Cardinals card pit combine one and 24. That was the war years, 43 to 45. Harvey Johnson of the Bills, 68 to 71, started 222 and 1. Uh, Ted Nesser of the Columbus Panhandles, who I didn't even know existed. Columbus uh, Panhandles in the house. I mean, there's no panhandles in Columbus. It's it's landlocked. I don't even know. And well, there's we, lots of Columbuses. Do we know which Columbus is based yeah, out of? Yeah, that's true. I would think, I mean, based on the geography of the, this was 1920 to 22. Um, so I would yeah, think it would I be would Columbus, assume. Ohio. That's correct. Um, three twenty and two. I'll tell you what. You get the panhandles and triangles together, and it is oh, bad it, blood. You throw bad the records blood. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Schwartz is fifth on the list, as we mentioned. Four twenty-one. He's tied actually for fifth. Chris Palmer of the Browns, four and twenty-one. Jimmy Johnson of the Cowboys, four and twenty-one. Uh, then at eighth, you've got Norb Hecker. From sixty six to sixty seven with the Falcons four twenty and one, and and really this is the back before seventy two they didn't count ties um, on the winning percentage it counted as a loss essentially. Um, Zach gets the benefit of getting a half win for his tie. Um, eighth on the list, Burt Bell of the Eagles. He was also four twenty and one. Then you have Mike Nixon, who who coached the Redskins. That's what they were called then um, in 59 and 60. And then for some reason, he, he did so bad. The Steelers went to him in 65. He's got a six, a seven season gap on here from 59 to 65. He was 419 and two in his first 25. Uh, Tom Landry, Hall of Fame coach, also 419 and two in his first 25. He's at 10th, tied for 10th on the list. And then there's Zach Taylor at 12th, 420 and one, which of course now is 422 and one. Yeah, you know, you'll 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 talk about Jimmy Johnson, you'll talk about Tom Landry if you're in this and you'll I guess you'll mm-hmm. even throw Schwartz in there if you're trying to, and then you'll you'll throw Kyle Shanahan in there and for examples. You know, if you're trying to say look there's it it, it, it can happen, patience can pay off. Um there can be reasons. You've got to kind of believe your eyes a little bit and and 
try to forget the record, I guess, is is what you got to sell. There, you know, it's it's tough though. And but you're right. I mean, that's a lot of there's just a there's a there's a lot of proof in the other direction. Um and and when you when you when you look at history and, and is it better? I, I you know, I tend to think that you if you're really serious about this, I, I tend to think you've got to give a guy three years. You gotta give him a real chance. And there are obviously examples of people that haven't been willing to do that. Okay. I mean, obviously. But I think at a certain point, you know, you've you've got to let it you've got to let it play out people are impatient and that it, and that has certainly changed over the years i mean you you used to see everybody got way more time well the league isn't like that anymore because you can turn it around faster um and and you you expectations to win are faster but you know i just i i tend to think that's probably the best model in general because you then then you you flip over here's the thing you flip over and you're re, you're rebuilding again right I mean, you're yeah. not with because you have Joe Burrow, so maybe it's not as quite. But you're still you're going to now bring in a coach with new staffs and everything else, and reevaluate everything. And maybe that's what you need. And, and certainly, that argument can be made when you're at the record that you're at. But you know, I I also think that there's the other side of like that. You know, <laughs> just the same thing you said when you let Marvin Lewis go. Careful what you ask for. Where do you want to be at? Um. You're in the you're in the window, you're in the you're in the rookie quarterback window. So it's 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 all um, it's an interesting history there, and we'll dive more into that here on the site in the next couple of days. Uh, of really, the history of this. Um, there's a, there's another thing to talk about here, um, and that is what are you going to do with some of these guys that are hurt coming back? Um. We've got Joe Mixon, Darius Phillips, Xavier Suofilo, Trey Waynes, John Ross, all are eligible to come off of IR, um, potentially to return. Uh, Xavier Suofilo, we know, will be back this week. Uh, Zach Taylor said that last week, and his eligibility on the 21 day is up. So I think there's an expectation we will see him start at right guard um, with Quentin Spain at left guard would be my guess. So I think we know he he will come back, and I think you really need to see him because you're probably trying to judge if you think he's an answer for you uh, for next year and the ne- and the year after that. Really, but the the rest of these guys, I think you wonder, will you see them? What is the value of bringing them back? Yeah, I mean Darius and John Ross could come back this week based on the the three game minimum. Um, I think they've seen enough of John Ross. I think even if he comes back, it's no guarantee that he plays. Um, I guess Darius depends. The importance there depends on whether Trey Waynes comes back or not. The, the The thing is, like I, I would say, you know what Mixon is, and yeah, again, you're you're paying a superstar huge money not to play, just like last year with AJ. But but what is the point really at this stage of the game of bringing him back? Just let him heal up. The Trey Waynes thing is a little different because I don't, I'd have to look into this further, but it doesn't seem like that, that pectoral injury is one that has a high rate of reoccurrence. And, and if he's healthy and there's not, you're not taking any risk of him re injuring it. I think it would be important to get him in and get him assuming if, you know, you're going to keep Lou 
and keep this scheme, just get him familiar with his teammates and with the scheme and get him on the field. Um, but, but Mixon, I, I, I just, I'm of the mind there. Just let him heal. Let that foot heal. They, it, it is obviously worse than they initially thought. Um, how confident can you be a few weeks later that it is hundred, hundred, not 100%, but that, that it, there's no chance of, um, him re aggravating it. It just makes more sense. He's too valuable to this team. Um, I would say just, just shut him down for the year. I mean, if he's 100% healthy, then I think you play him. He's, he gives you the best chance to win games. I know people are saying you don't want to win games, but they do. They need to. Um, certainly people making the decisions here need to. And, you know, because you can feature him. And, and it goes into like, well, I mean, maybe they <laughs> maybe they won't if we look at the way they handled the running game against the Giants by just quitting on it. Um, but, you know, you can feature him when you have the the rookie quarterback and, and try to, you know, just run this thing and, and try to have that be your your ultimate weapon. And if he's healthy, it can, that that alone can win you a game. So I, I it, but it it goes back to the evaluation. To me, it's a doctor's decision. If Joe Mixon is one hundred percent healthy, he should play. I, I, you know, if there if there is chance of a reaggravation causing a longer term problem, if that is part of the equation of this injury, then sure, shut him down. Make sure you get to next year. I'm fine with that. But if if there isn't, if it's just a matter of heel time and he's one hundred percent and able to play, let him play. You know, I mean, he gives you the best chance to win games. And 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 help get people moving in the right direction a little bit. So I I you know and that's me. The Wayne's thing is interesting to me because you know in talking to Trey, he's been <laughs> frustrated by this year, obviously, and uh, not super happy about it. And and it, the question for me is, and I, I just you know when you hear how frustrated he is by this year and just wanting it to be over. And he's back on the rehab field now. And theoretically, with his injury, he should be able to be back. You know, if you look at the history, the traditional timelines of this thing, soon. In the next week or two. I mean, that's where these things typically land. Really now-ish almost. And he is on the side and he is running and he's doing all that stuff. You got to get strength back. But the question is if he's when he's healthy, how healthy is he? And how willing and interested is he in joining this team right now? Mm. And, you know, if you were just like, you know what, I can just ride this baby out, call it a busted year, which he obviously thinks it is, start over next year and assure 100% health and get all the way 100-100, you know, maybe I'll just do that, you know. Or does he want to get out there and want to prove he could come back and want to play and want to contribute and help this team? I think we're going to learn a little bit about Trey Waynes here, aren't we? I think so. And it's, he's got a three year, a very handsome contract. And yes. so he, you, you, if I could see if he was on a one year deal, even a two year deal where you'd be like, yeah, just I'll come back next year. But I mean, he's going to want that money. And, and if, if he's healthy enough to play and he's disinterested, he's got to figure he's going to be risking playing that contract to fruition. So yeah, I, I do. I, I mean, I think most of these guys, it is a business and it is cold and it's no fun to lose. And there's there's a lot working against them. But I think most of these guys genuinely love football and want to be out there playing. And, and he's a guy I think if I don't know him, I've never talked to him. You have. But it, it just feels like if he's able to go, he's he's one of the ones that, that we would see out there. 
I think we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, because theoretically, I, you know, he should be back and able to give you a few games this season. Um, there's no doubt about that. And so it, it's either he's choosing not to or didn't, wasn't able to heal up completely or just doesn't find any reason to do so. Or he comes out and does. And I think we'll learn a little bit there. Um, John Ross. Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, I, I don't know the full extent of this injury that happened in practice. I mean, we've seen a lot of interesting injury report listings from John Ross this year. But, I mean, I think this as obviously this relationship is over. So there's really no reason to continue it. Um, you know, Darius Phillips is playing to prove something if he can get back healthy um, at some point. Uh, you have House of Cards update? Yeah, John Ross is my hope for winning that. let's refresh everybody on Bengals house of cards that we did in preseason this year and uh, what it was and uh, where it stands. Yeah. We was piggybacked on what we did last year with the, we did the big four last year, this year, the four guys in house of cards are John Ross, AJ green, Carl Lawson and Darius Phillips. And it was how many games will they play? Obviously the, the highest, the cap is 64. You went 45. I went 42. The number currently is 33. Um, so the, the a potential of 53 if everybody plays every game remaining. Uh, so far, A.J. Green and Carl Lawson have played all 11. Darius played eight, and John Ross played three. So we're at we're at 33 right now. Um, I, I need that. I, I don't know. I need only 10 games out of that group the rest of the way. Uh, I think I'm going to lose this one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's possible. I mean, if if we don't see if we don't see Phillips or if we don't see Phillips or Ross again, then it's exactly ten. Yeah, yeah. Then you then you get it. So I mean, it really it comes down to that. Can we sneak out another <laughs> game from John Ross or Darius Phillips? Can we do it to get me a House of Cards victory? I could I could use one. I've been I've been down on these things lately. Uh, yeah, that reminds uh, me. Go I was going to say growler bet. I lead nine to six in growler bets. You won last yeah. week's growler bet with the uh, the time of the first turnover. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of time of first turnover for the Bengals growler bet had to be within five seconds. I think we, I think I said this last week, but truth be told, behind the scenes, we were wrestling with the amount of time you had to be within to win the growler. Ten or five seconds. I wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure how close it needed to be, and I opted to make it harder because I'm just sick of people winning all the time. Because I'm, you know, I'm kind of scrooging a little bit. But that was my thought. And credit, the answer was eight fifty three, eight fifty three exactly. I ran back through the tape many times. Eight fifty three exactly was the snap of the first turnover of the game. James Williams, J Will Ohio State on Twitter, eight. 47. Ooh. Oh, so close. So close. Tough break, Jay Will. Tough break. What could have been, but is not. Six seconds is not within the set parameters of the game. So you are the first loser, but and you get the shout out, but no beer. So close. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. All right, Jay, you've got stats, and one is either going to be horrifying or thrilling, and I don't know what it is, and I'm very curious. What do you got? 
Okay. It is, as we said before, it's December 1st. This is Bengal time. The, <laughs> the Bengals own December. Not really, but comparatively speaking, this is pretty remarkable. First of all, the, there, there's all these questions about are they going to lose out? Um, they, they haven't had a winless, sep, winless December since 1974. And they've had some horrible teams. And they yes, always find – they find a way to win at least one in December. So if, if you're hoping for them to to lose out, that may not happen. But here's where it gets really weird. Okay. in And when we say December, it's December slash January because like this year, the last game of the year is January 3rd. That We're just counting that as December. So since 1978, when they went – the NFL went to a 16-game schedule, the Bengals' December winning percentage – is 517. That's 14th best in the league. That's that's above average. That's not, it's not great, but when you look at the other months, it's pretty remarkable. In November, their winning percentage is 431. That's 29th. In October, their winning percentage is 380. That's 30th. And in September, their winning percentage is 378. That's 31st. They are rock bottom year in and year out in those months. And then they get to December and something crazy happens and they just fit. I mean, they're above 500. They're, they're above the, the Mendoza line in terms of winning percentage and ranking the league 14th out of 32 teams in December. And here, so that's why it should horrify you because if you're hoping they're going to lose out and get Panay Sewell at, <laughs> at number three, uh, it's probably not, they're, they're going to find a way to win at least one of these. And, and and this this should horrify Ravens fans. I I mentioned this on the the podcast last week. I went and looked it back up. The story I wrote last year. In, in years, when the Bengals enter the home finale with a losing record, which is guaranteed to be the case this year, they've won twelve straight home finales and <laughs> seventeen of the last eighteen. How does that happen? You send them home happy. You have a crappy year, and you send them home happy, and you keep them hanging on to to come back and buy their season tickets the next year. You know, because you just got to. If you're a player, you just got to play hard one last time. That's you know, right. like it's, it's just you can go. All oh, I'm gonna go play hard today because then you know then I can just kick back. It's sort of like the game before the bye. You know, play hard today, then I can get away for a little while and get get my win. You know, there's a, there's a very there's a similar thing, and when you're on bad teams, you, it, it's the way. It's just amazing. It is that is amazing how much this organization repeatedly lives up to its same standard over and over and over again. <laughs> December, it, it's Bengal, it's Bengal weather, it's Bengal time, Bengal time. Forget losing time, it's Bengal time. Uh, so importantly. With that in mind, we'll kind of go through the draft order again where it stands now. Uh, Bengals still solidly in third. I mean, that, if you look at the percentages of where it stands, they're 2-8-1. They're, they're their most likely percentages to, for them to end up in this third spot. Jacksonville is 1-10. That's a tough climb uh, for them to get over to Jacksonville. The Jets look like they're going to go own 16. Uh, their schedule's tough. They're on 11. They got no hope. Um the question is, move it, how, how far back would they end up? Dallas and the Chargers are 3-8 and eight right behind them. The Dallas, the Dalton Bowl will be big. The Dalton Bowl will be big. The Bengals need to lose that one. Uh, and the Chargers, with the way Herbert's playing, 
it's really remarkable that they continue to lose. Anthony Lynn not doing himself any favors. He's going to end up on that fired list, by the way, uh, that we were going through earlier. This is third year? Is this his fourth year? Anthony Lynn. I believe uh, it's his third year. Anthony Lynn came in. Is this his fourth year? Four, okay. Anthony Lynn came in with Sean McDermott, Vance Joseph, Sean McVay, and Kyle Shanahan. A very good year for the coaches coming in. Shanahan, McVay, both have been to the Super Bowl. McDermott has done a hell of a job in Buffalo. Um, so Lynn, that's a, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell, especially when you got the quarterback now and you're still playing with it. Anyway, you gotta think at some point Herbert wins him a game, uh, and, and they won't be really uh, something to, to deal with. But then you, Philadelphia at three, seven and one right there after the Bengals played the Eagles in week three, I have the receipts. My tweet was, these two teams will meet again in the top five of the draft. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are, and they are both trending in that direction. The Eagles look awful in every way, shape, and form. Uh, And so there's a good chance we see them. But I don't know the tiebreakers on Eagles and Bengals if they both end up tied with their tie. We'll have to see how that plays out, potentially. I think it would be strength of victory. Right, exactly. We that, That's all I'm saying. So just keep an eye on those three teams. After that, you've got a couple of games to, to, to deal with. Dallas, the Dalton Bowl will prove very important, though. Uh, so keep that in mind. Now, that said, Dane Brugler's mock draft is out. You can go check that out up on the site. And again, if you're not a subscriber and you want to get the deal still, you got to go through our podcast now, uh, theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling. Um, and you can still get the $1 per month for the next 12 months deal that is out, the Black Friday deal that uh, we have still going. Um, he has the Bengals picking third, as they are currently slated to, and taking Panay Sewell, the tackle from Oregon. And, you know, it feels like a no-brainer. And, boy, the the like the storylines you will see of the third overall pick tackle, you know, he's Polynesian. Uh, you've got, you've got all this stuff. And in 1980, the Bengals with the third overall pick took Anthony Munoz, one of the greatest Hispanic players in history. You know, you've got like, there's just this, there's just this aura about Bengals and Panay Sewell right now. Uh, that makes, so they, but they've got to end. I think they've got to end up third. I don't think there's any doubt that whoever's in that, you never know. I mean, you never know. We are so far out. Teams can get enamored with quarterbacks. They can trade up. They can. You never. You just never know how that's going to turn out. But we know if it ends up being the Chargers, what they would do. We know if it ends up being the Cowboys, what we'll to see what happens with Dak Prescott. What they would probably, I would assume, would do would go offensive line as well. Um, so, but these are all contingency plans. There's trading. There's there's so much that can happen. But for the most part, you feel like the Bengals need to be at three to make that happen he's the real deal what you would do with them you know would you keep Jonah Williams at left tackle move Sewell to right decisions for down the line if they draft him but either way those two guys are your tackles I don't care what the combo is it's cool by me uh and boy you feel really good about that for the for the duration those two guys as your tackles with Burrow as your quarterback Higgins Boyd Mixon I mean, that's those are those are building blocks. Those are real building blocks. Assuming that Sewell ends up being, I mean, he is. For those that don't really know, you Jay, you wrote about him, and you have the if people can go read that and really get more into the intricacies of it, or you can read of Dan. I mean, he's just 
He is the first sophomore winner of the Atlin Trophy. He is an absolute beast. He's and he's young. He's I don't think he's he just turned twenty one. No, he won't just be turned 20, twenty. He won't be twenty one to October next year. He'll next, start. He'll be yeah. twenty when next year starts. Just turned twenty, so he'll be twenty years old. He was a nineteen year old Outland Trophy winner. Just huge, physical, powerful. Got the DNA to you know type stuff that everybody loves. Yeah, I mean, what, what what more did you get in your story talking to people about him? Started as a true freshman at age seventeen at Oregon at a Power Five team. Um, that people love it's his movement, his speed. I mean, he he's he's good technique wise and in. in dropping back and pass pro but when you watch him run block and you watch him pull i mean the he's just so nimble and he he's just got this mean nasty streak you see a lot of guys when they they get to the second level and they're kind of looking around for who's you know who do i need to block and if there's if the if the plays if the back kicks it to the left they don't bother with anybody over to the right Sewell's gonna find somebody to bury no matter which way the play's going and he can get he can get to just about anybody and when you get him on a safety or a corner it's just it's comical it's like the Jonah Williams high school tape where he's just burying people um it there's really i mean the 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 only negative Paul Alexander the the former Bengals offensive line coach said he's he he wants to wait and see till Sewell gets his official measurements because he thinks that is a if he's not six six as advertised, he thinks that is a big deal. If if you're going to try to put a tackle out there at six five, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. But I mean, Paul knows way more about offensive line play than I ever will. So that is something to watch in this in this off season run up. But the the other the really interesting thing I, I did a piece um, a little bit earlier on uh, talking to Dane just about O line and D line options overall before we kind of zeroed in on Sewell and the last couple of years, there've been some really good offensive line classes. And so you're, if you're thinking, oh, well, even if the Bengals pick fourth, they don't get Sewell, but they can get another offensive lineman. There's a pretty far drop this year. It's not last year. Four tackles went in the top 13. That's not happening this year. If you look at Dane's mock after Sewell, the next tackle doesn't go until 14 and that's Rashawn Slater um, from Northwestern who is another opt-out guy and he's he's kind of a tackle guard swing guy there there it's not a guarantee that he's going to be a tackle and I guess there's some questions too maybe some people think Sewell will play guard in the league I I don't I think he's going to be a tackle but yeah that it is important where they pick because I I would if they pick fourth fifth I don't know that that's a slam dunk that they're going O-line just because this draft class doesn't warrant it. No, and I I think the thing is you can then turn to free agency, right? I mean, at a certain point you know what the holes are. You know, you know what the things that you're going to have to fill. You know, we we can you can go through the list and and see on, you know, they're going to need pass rush. Three-tech, edge, that somebody, those two, they're going to need a guy as a three tech. They're going to need a guy as an edge. Um, and, I mean, they're. I guess they could triple, quadruple down on Geno Atkins finding something, but that's crazy. We've seen crazier. But you know, you're going to need that those two positions, whether through the draft or through free agency. You have to do something about your pass rush. Also, Carl Lawson's a free agent that you got to pay if you want to bring him back. 
And I, and I don't know that there's a slam dunk on that decision either. So you get into then obviously offensive line. So your your third receiver is in that mix as well. Now, value there, third receiver, not as valuable as fixing the offensive line and edge rush, but it's a position that they need to figure out. Also corner. William Jackson the third is up. Mackenzie Alexander is up. These guys, you got to make decisions on them too. So you get it. You, we know the spots. Are you going to fill them through the draft? Are you going to fill them through free agency? Free agency has players available on the offensive line. There are guys to be had there. So you can, if you're not picking in the top three, you know, then maybe you're aggressive and understand, okay, Jamar Chase is, is right there to take that other receiver spot, get dynamic there, and fill the offensive line with your free agency money. Um, and then find some edge rushers and maybe even have another guy and your other free agency splash is one guy, and then your second or third round pick comes with an edge rusher. And you feel like you can fill it up that way. Um, but there's a lot of questions there in that in that regard. And how, which, which direction do you choose to fill it if you don't end up three? Or if it goes, as a lot of people think, with Lawrence and Fields and Sewell, um, which actually Dane did not have. He had Zach Wilson from BYU being the number two quarterback pick. But if if they don't pick in that top three and they're in that four, five, six range, you could get a team really desperate to move up and get a quarterback and, and get some get some extra picks that way. Um, they're going to have a ton of options. If they're at three, then yeah, you lock in on Sewell. But if, if they're not... If they fall below three, um, they're, they're going to have a lot of different ways they can attack this. Yeah, there is no doubt. Um, we have so much time to talk about draft. But uh, the other side of that, and I sort of mentioned it, was if you look at Dane's mock, who's available after the first round ends. Um, and we start talking about some of those positions. I, I feel like edge rusher, I don't know. It, it depends on how free agency plays out. But I feel like some sort of pass rusher is going to be some you could where you could see them zeroing in at 35, you know, where it, it just it feels like that's the direction they would want to go there. Um, and there's guys. One that one that stuck out to me was Carlos Basham Jr. Second round pick out of Wake Forest. We got a good history there. Okay. Jesse Bates. <laughs> good history there. Second round pick out of Wake Forest to try to duplicate that. And edge rushers named Carlos. Oh, yeah. Maybe Zach Taylor wouldn't be as interested in that, but <laughs> <laughs> but the Bengals as a team are interested. Has a good history of second round edge rushers named Carlos. So with those two things in mind, Carlos Basham Jr. Uh, out of Wake Forest uh, is is my early early target to to put an early receipt down on that. Yeah, another interesting guy in that realm. Um, Dane has him at, at twenty eight overall, but he didn't have him in his first round mock. Is Aiden Hutchinson from? De- from uh, Michigan, who he can play, he he can and has played everywhere on the defensive line. So that would be a guy that you know you bring him in and see what he does best. Maybe an edge rusher. He can be a Sam Hubbard guy. Go inside, outside. The best available on Dane's list that didn't go in his in his first round mock, and we talked about this with the if they were to go receiver and that the whole Jamar Chase. You know, if they're in that five, six range, do they do they take him? Um, his teammate at LSU, Terrence Marshall, 
is is 22nd on Dane's list and he didn't have him going in the first round so if if he's available maybe maybe they repeat that and and go wide receiver second round two years in a row and, and pair him with T Higgins and uh, Tyler Boyd you got draft talk from us baby you 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 guys you know it's time it's time you've won you you've won us over as the Bengals have lost and uh <laughs> there's really nowhere else to go and you start you know we're in this season now and Dane's all over it it's really interesting the, the other thing one thing I'll say on Sewell and we'll wrap it up is it's gonna be interesting with so many of these guys particularly the opt-outs there's no tape on him you know the last tape on him is is that so, you know, the sophomore year, I mean, that you, you're going to go have a year plus, two years, without the guy playing football as, as he, since he opted out of Oregon. What does that look like? How do you judge that? What is going on behind the scenes there, you know? And how people view this when you haven't been able to get on campuses, you haven't been able to properly vet everybody. Who knows what the run-up process is going to look like whether we're talking about combine, whether we're, whatever we're talking about, who knows what any of that's going to look like. And with that, I mean, it becomes a, it becomes a harder thing, but you just pretty much are solely going off the tape. And when you're – I think you have enough people vouching for the DNA of him that you're not as worried. But if, you know, with a lot of these guys that particularly were opt-outs uh, and, and you don't have a lot of tape on, I think it – I think there is a, a, an extra challenge – in the evaluation, and I'm curious if we'll see a surprising way the draft ends up falling because of that. But yeah, just another food thing. For yeah, I was gonna say another thing with Sewell. Um, I asked Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus about this for this story too. Is the Pac-12 is not exa- exactly sending a bunch of edge rushers to the NFL? Very few, as a matter of fact. So there, there's that whole degree of difficulty thing and level of competition thing, and and, and Mike Renner dismiss that he said if it, it, it would be one thing if Sewell ever lost but he never loses he wins over and over and over again so um him and Dane both didn't seem too concerned about the opt-out they said there's Sewell has enough tape out there it's good enough tape um you asked me what, what stood out first of all he's he, he's got three brothers they all four of them play d1 football <laughs> which is amazing um, and it, it, his younger brother is at Oregon. He's a linebacker right now. And, and Mike Renner said he's going to be a top 15, top 20 pick in a couple years. He's a true freshman at Oregon playing linebacker right now. Maybe the most amazing thing that I found out, and I found this out from Tyson Alger, who covers the Oregon Ducks for us, is I've got to find this guy. Panay Sewell in high school played right tackle. Who was that team's left tackle that beat out <laughs> Panay Sewell? Unless they had a left-handed quarterback and they said, "No, we're gonna we want Sewell to block, you know, to do the blind side on the on the other side." But I mean that that just stunned me, and 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 that too that he 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 played nothing but right tackle, and he comes to Oregon and he starts as a true freshman at age seventeen. And Tyson said he was their best lineman from day one, and Oregon has a pretty good offensive line. There is no doubt. Uh, and, and, you know, that is good background on if you're talking about he comes in and you leave Jonah left and where's your comfort level with Sewell playing right? Well, he's like, I don't know, did it all in high school. So <laughs> at least at least there's not no history of, uh, you know, of, of doing it. So, I, you know, it's a little different level of competition than whoever he was facing at whatever his high school was. But, Desert Valley, well, let's, Utah. Let's find, let's find the head coach in Desert Valley. <laughs> we need him on the horn, stat. Uh, 
All right. Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening to the podcast. Appreciate it again. Remind we'll be back with the Growler on Thursday. Really special, fun Growler. Um, we have Kevin Clark from The Ringer is going to be on. We're going to talk about the the Tank Bowl and the, 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 the two versions of Rebuild that happened in Miami and Cincinnati. Really excited about that. Um, and, Jay, you have... Right now, I have final thoughts up. Um, it, it it looks at that like we said before the the extrapolation those those the top or the bottom winning percentages for coaches of their twenty seven their first twenty seven games, and I'm going to be going deeper into who some of these options are going to be in the second round uh, if Dane's mock first round plays out the way it should. Absolutely. And we'll also have uh, from Miami, Josh Tolentino, talk to us a little bit about what's going on with them. And uh, lots more coming this week on the site. Reminder, you can still get the deal if you go through our podcast page, theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling. You can get our $1 per month for the next 12 months. Give it as a gift. If you want to be a new subscriber, we love to have you on. You get all of our coverage here locally, all of our national writers, Premier League, NBA, NHL, MLB, you name it, uh, all across the globe, we have you covered all under one umbrella, one deal. And that's $1 per month for the next 12 months. Highly, highly recommend that deal if you want to join. Uh, so anyway, thanks everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next time on Hear That Podcast Ground. Have a good one, everybody.